to clap it if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, mums, you're doing better than you think you are. Okay? If you're sitting next to a mum, turn to her and say that to her right now. <laughs> you are doing better than you think you are. And in fact, we would really love to honour you today with a gift. So if you're a mum in the room today, could you please stand to your feet? If you're expecting your first child, would you stand to your feet, mum? Because we believe life starts in the womb. So please stand. <laughs> and uh, the ushers are going to come and bring a gift around uh, to you. Um, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, and I'm sure as mums you'll find a, a very practical use for it very quickly. <laughs> Thank you, ushers. Um, give me a wave if you got breakfast in bed this morning. Oh, yeah, a few, a few, just only a few. Gosh, it must just like, is it, is it dying as an art, the whole breakfast in bed thing? Do you know, uh, Rick has made me breakfast in bed every year for Mother's Day, every year without fail. And today we had no food in the house. He drove to McDonald's at 10 to 7 and he bought me McDonald's, my favourite things, and then he bought them home and put them on a china plate and made me a coffee in a china cup, and then Charlie delivered it to my bed. <laughs> how, how good is he? He's not bad, is he? Don't tell him I said that, though. You know, <laughs> don't, don't want to get him too comfortable. <laughs> uh, so stay standing so that we can pray for you, mums. If, if you wouldn't mind, stay standing. And, uh, yes, yeah, has, has all of our mums got a gift? I want to make sure everyone's got one. Yes, beautiful. Um, Allow me to pray for you as the mother of our little nation here. Uh, I'd love to pray for you. So why don't you just uh, reach your hand out to a mum that's near you and let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for mums. Lord, we are so grateful for mums. We remember those that are not with us anymore. We're grateful for them to thank you for putting them in our lives. And Lord God, I pray today that you would give a special strength and energy and encouragement to the heart of every mother. Lord God, that she would know she's doing better than she realises. And Lord God, that you would just grace her with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit to, to go about her task and to do it in strength and to do it in the counsel and wisdom of the Almighty God. And so bless every one of them with good health, long, long days of life. Let them feel honoured and celebrated today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, mums. Now, just to let you know, um, if, if you've got kids in the service today, kids are staying in the service. So kids, I would recommend that now is a really good time to give your mum a hand massage during the sermon. Or, you know, if you want to get on the floor, take her shoes off, give her a foot massage, you know. So while she's listening to the sermon, she can really relax and, you know, really take it in. Um, <laughs> but if your kids are a bit young and not handling the service very well, we have a parent's room every week now. It's up in the Woods Room. Woods Room. I've got the name of it right. Woods Room. Um, and there's some uh, chairs there. You can see the service, hear the service up there. So we encourage you to use that if you need to. Otherwise, we love having the kids in. So... That's great. All right. Can, I, can you just grab the pulpit for me, please, love? Thank you. So I get the privilege of bringing the word. And I think this is kind of my 14th Mother's Day in a row where I've gotten to do this. No, I missed one year. I was in New Zealand. Oh, that was a good year. 
New Zealand, <laughs> but um, but yes, it's been a it's been a great privilege. Uh, and you know, as I as I really just sought the Lord about what word to bring, uh, there is one character in the Bible, one, one particular story in the Bible that just won't leave me. And I actually preached on it about four years ago. Um, you won't remember, so don't worry. I don't really expect any of you to have remembered. Uh, but I actually have something very fresh to bring about this this same uh, passage of scripture. Uh, and so I want to bring it. It is one of my favourites. If Ricky ever lets me get a tattoo, I'm going to have it tattooed on my arm. Anyway, I can't convince him yet, so we'll see. <laughs> but I love this. It just resonates with me so much. And it comes from Judges chapter 5. And, uh, and so if you, I'm going to be reading out of the book of Judges. So if you want to grab it on your phones or on your Bibles uh, to read along, uh, please feel free to join me. Um, it won't be on the screen and that's my fault. <laughs> okay, Judges 5 verse 7. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. Let me give you a little bit of the history of all of this. Uh, after Joshua had died, uh, Israel went through a very tumultuous time. And uh, it, it had good leaders and then it would fall away and the people would start to worship the gods of their surrounding neighbours and they would just lose, uh, the, lose what it meant to be God's nation. Uh, they would lose their way, they'd, lose, they'd be so distracted and start serving these other gods and then God would raise up another leader and, uh, you know, because Israel would always, the, the end result of t- turning away from God was always that they ended up in a really bad place and oppressed and suffering and then God would raise up an- another leader to deliver them and, and they'd be real cool with God for a while and then they would forget. And, you know, Israel just has this history of, uh, you know, <laughs> of them uh, continuing to, you know, God turning up, showing up and then forgetting what he's done and walking away, which is really cool because, let's face it, we're all a little bit like that, right? So Israel's kind of us. We get it. We're, we're all the same. Um, but but this, in this particular time, this was before the monarchy uh, was set up, the, uh, the idea of a, a king um, came later. Later, uh, in this in this age, uh, God rose rose particular judges, and uh, so we we see after Joshua died, um, we see that uh, what's his name Othniel Othniel, who was Caleb's nephew, rose to the challenge of leading Israel, and when he passed, Israel again fell away from the Lord. So he raised up Ehud, who defeated Israel's enemies. He was the one that plunged the anyway. The kids are in, so I won't say it. The hilt. And everything disappeared into the... Anyway, it's a gruesome story. Uh, (laughs) um, So Ehud, and after Ehud, it was Shamgar who apparently killed uh, 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Does anybody know what an ox goad is? Anyone? I don't know. Oh, sorry, I'll have to look it up for you. Maybe a skull, I don't know. But he was cool, so he led them. But we find ourselves now after three judges, three rulers over Israel, we find ourselves back in a period where things are not good. Uh, And and just to kind of sum up this period of time, I'm just going to read from Judges uh, chapter 2, verse 18. It says this, 
And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And then we see God uh, raises up Deborah, the first female ruler and judge. So honestly, women's in leadership, that is just, women in leadership is a boring subject, people, because it's been going on for thousands of years. So moving on. So Deborah's the judge of Israel. And it says in Judges 4, now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at the time and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel. That would be like me sitting at Cafe Cornerstone, you know, between the Windsor Bridge and... Oh, anyway. (laughs) And uh, in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. They would come to her for decision-making. They would come to her to decide on a matter, uh, to hear from God for them. Because unlike today where we have access to the Holy Spirit and you and I can hear from the Lord ourselves each day uh, and of course get that confirmed by one another as we as we seek the Lord uh, back then it was it was an unusual gift and the spirit came on particular people and they would have to go to that person to to hear from God and to be instructed by God and so here's Deborah and the picture we get of Deborah we know she's a mother and we know and we know that she uh, she was married. And so the, the picture we get of her, we have to sort of read between the lines a bit. But she's clearly sort of probably my age or older. She's done with that season of raising children because she has time to sit under a tree. Anyone with children think they have time to sit under a tree? No. Right. So we understand she's really past this stage. It's not like she can set the washer and dryer on a timer back in the tent. Like life was really hard for women back then. And raising a family and running a home was a massive undertaking. She was free from a lot of those responsibilities. She perhaps was even widowed. It doesn't say that. But she's, she's now got time on her hands to really just be the judge over Israel and make these important decisions and hear from God. So, so this, this is what struck me this time around in reading this passage that hasn't struck me before. And don't you love that about the Bible? You know, Brody spoke uh, on Friday night. Uh, Brody Collins, um, he's over at Penrith Church. And Brody spoke on Friday night. It was so awesome. He just spoke about how the Word of God is this living, active thing that is constantly at work. So you will never totally understand it or you'll never max out your knowledge of the Bible because it's moving and working and working itself out in our lives in a powerful way. And I love that as many times as I've read this story, something new came to me as I was watching this. Because what occurs to me, is that we drop in on Deborah's life, you know, she just gets, we just drop in on her story, boom, right there. And she's probably in her 50s. And she is brought up into leadership after 20 years of horrendous oppression. And I thought to myself, what would that have been like to try and raise kids raise a family, survive. I mean, the kind of oppression was that they'd grow crops and their, their neighbours that were oppressing them, the neighbouring tribes, would just come and take all their harvest. All the fruit of their labour was just stolen from them. Children were taken and put into servitude. 
often killed, you know. They, they lived in fear, in tremendous fear. It says that the highways were deserted. You know, people just didn't go about in that kind of flourishing way a village does in that everyday, you know, meeting of their need and, and surviving and, and being a community and having relationships. None of that was happening. There was just so much fear. And it, it struck me that, that we, don't, we don't know. We have to guess. But I don't think it's that hard to guess what that might have looked like for Deborah. She had to go through quite a few different seasons. And I really want to encourage you, especially mums, but all of you. This word is for all of us today. But I, I believe the mums will get something special out of it. But I, I, think, I think the word of God speaks to us all. So, you know, men, even you could get something out of this message today. Amazing. <laughs> but we get dropped in on her life. And so we, we imagine the season she's gone to. And this is what I want to encourage you about. She probably did some really tough ones. And if today you're not really feeling like you're terribly winning as a mother, because there are seasons where we feel like we're winning and there are seasons where we feel like we're losing. Anyone else relate to that? Like, okay. So seasons where we're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Am I doing this okay? Like those darling women and their honesty about how they felt that they were doing. There, there are seasons we're not doing so okay. You know, we're, we're trying to work it out. And, uh, you know, there's seasons where we do, we, we feel like we're, we're in strength. We've got it nailed. Like we're organized. We're, you know, man, I can tick the box. I feel like the parent of the, parent of the month award should go to me. Uh, and then tomorrow you send the kid to the school in the wrong uniform. You know, it's like, it, it's, just, it's just life as a mum, right? Winning, losing, good mental health, bad mental health, good physical health, bad physical health, good relationships, bad relationships. You know, we go through these seasons in life. But the thing that we know about Deborah is that when she was going through those seasons, she was faithful to the Lord. She stayed faithful. Often in those seasons, it makes us run away from God. You know, something inside of us runs away from God. And yet in, in Deborah's case, she was found faithful that God could choose her to be a ruler. She allowed those seasons to grow her. She allowed those seasons to make her mature spiritually, you know, to, to mature in, in every way. That her status was such in her community that she had a, had a palm tree named after her where that was her office and people would go to her for judgment and leadership decisions. She was the leader of Israel. Extraordinary. And so I, I just think, you know, I don't know where we drop in on your story today, but I just want to encourage you that we're in the middle of your story <laughs> and there's more chapters to be written. And so if you're not winning today, if today is not a winning day, don't you worry because God's got some things in store for you. Just stay faithful to him. Turn to him. Turn to him. Find out what it is that he wants you to grow in and understand and just trust him. Just trust him as he takes you on this journey because every season has something to offer us. And so... So we've dropped in on Deborah's story and we find out how God is going to use her to deliver Israel. I found out that Deborah means bee. Don't tell Rick because he'll want to name all of our children Deborah. It means bee. I find that fascinating because, okay, so you know my life is just like everything's bees at our house. We have six hives now. I told Rick if he gets seven, I'm divorcing him. That's it. It's like he's, like he's, a, he's just, I find him, you know, just Googling 
endless YouTube videos on, on the life cycles of bees. And, and, uh, no, and it, look, it's getting bad because the other night we were having family dinner and we were outside, we cooked it on the campfire and uh, I'm setting the table and two bees landed on the tablecloth and I was a little bit concerned because it's night time and what are the bees doing out? And the grandchildren are there and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't want them to get stung. So I, I put glasses over the top of them. I'm like, Rick will deal with those bees later. His naughty, wayward bees. <clears throat> anyway, Rick's cooking over the campfire, comes over, to, we go to sit down to eat, and he leans over and he looks at the glasses and he goes, oh, they're not my bees. <laughs> uh, excuse me? There's like tens of thousands of bees in our backyard. How do you know they're not your bees? Like that, you're taking, you know, the sheep, the shepherd knows his sheep just a little too seriously here. But sure enough, he said, no, they're not the same species as my bees. He did know. He actually knew that they weren't his bees. So, like, bees are crazy. So, but, but the thing about bees is that they are the hardest workers. The, working, the worker bees are the females. They are the hardest workers. And not one of them is working for their own agenda. They are working for the hive. And I just love that, that... Some, somewhere even in the meaning of Deborah's name came this, this beautiful servant, uh, you know, servant heart, heart that was there to serve the hive. We're going to do this together. And you see that in what happens. She's no queen bee. She's no queen bee. She's a worker bee. And we see that in what, in what comes next. So let, let's go on and see what, how God used her to deliver Israel. So she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kedish, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go, deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy the enemy, that Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, the bad guys, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. So God gives Deborah a military strategy, which makes perfect sense to me because just getting your kids out the door for school requires military strategy. So I think that a mother is the perfect person for this, you know, to, to come up with a military strategy. Anyone else agree with me? Yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> you don't sound convinced, girls. No, <laughs> they're not convinced at all. Okay, it does. It requires military strategy. But Deborah has this military strategy. And, and then it's, it's really interesting to me what happens next. Because Barak says to her, well, if you'll go with me, then I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. This troubles me so much. Because here is a young man who didn't know who he was. God was calling him to lead Israel to a military victory and break the back of the oppressors. And Deborah was the mouthpiece of God to speak to him about that and Barak didn't know who he was. And I, I can't help but feel like I really relate to this whole time in history, because I feel like we're there now. The whole thought that village life has ceased. You know, it's, it's been a tough 18 months, hasn't it, with, with COVID? I mean, talk about village life ceasing. But, but not just that. You know, I, I think we've got other things that, that are a real concern. 
I talked to school teachers today. They spend half their time just trying to deal with behaviours. No wonder our educational standard is slipping in our nation. For me, that's village life ceasing. You know, one woman every nine days gets killed by her partner in domestic violence. One man every 29 days gets killed in domestic violence. Did you know that? That's village life ceasing. You know, some of the horrendous things, I won't go into detail outlining because of our audience today, but it tells me that village life has ceased in our nation. And in all over the globe, I think with this pandemic, the incredible fear that, that people are feeling and the restriction and uh, the control and the loss of freedoms uh, that people are going through, it is, it's village life ceasing. So I feel like this, this time in, in history is sort of something we can really relate to and, and maybe learn something from. And what really troubles me is that I believe that our men don't know who they are anymore. They don't know who to be because we keep giving them different messages. It's so hard for them to know how to be a man. What's expected of me? What's too much? What's too little? I don't know how to be a man. So we're raising perpetual boys in our nation. They just stay lads. They don't know how to be responsible. And it's clear to me that God had to raise Deborah because obviously there wasn't a man at that time who knew who he was. Fear had gotten a hold of him. Insecurities had gotten a hold of them. And they didn't know how to be who God had made them to be. And I am, I am no feminazi, I tell you. I believe that women will be everything that they're called to be when men are everything that they're called to be. We have to rise together. If we're not encouraging our men, if we're not believing in our men, if we're not speaking life into them, and more than that, mothers of young boys, if we're not raising our boys to be men and not lads for the rest of their life, we will not see village life return to the flourishing, thriving thing it should be. I love that Ricky's giving attention to this. I love that so many of our men are involved in the Building Strong Men uh, program. I love that. I love the fruit of what I'm seeing from that. We have some real men in our church. But can I just be really practical and say, I think we've lost some of the, some of the things that, that used to help men understand who they were, that they could sacrifice and put, and put others first and, uh, and do it tough, do it hard. You know, now we're all about making sure they're in touch with their feelings. Well, that's fine, but it better be in the context of helping them take responsibility, okay? You know, just something little. Someone said to me the other day that they, they, um, they were fascinated at something that I had done with my boys. And I just thought it was normal. So and I just, I'm just going to share it with you. Because I think maybe these sorts of things help us on our journey. But I used to drive the boys to youth and we'd, pick, we'd usually pick up, uh, some girls on the way, that usually the only girls. And as soon as we'd get to their house, whichever son was sitting in the passenger seat next to me, I would tell him to get in the back and give the seat to one of the girls. That was just normal. And the boys would do that and we're off we would go to youth and I would drop them off. What really pleased me was when I found out that when, I, when they finally got their licence and they were driving themselves off to youth and picking up the girls, that they continued to do that without anyone asking them. It was just something they did. It's something small, but it actually became something big because it taught my boys to honour women. 
small, practical, tangible, but deeply profound. And we've got to teach our sons to be men. Because our men, if they're not who they're called to be, we can't be who we're called to be. We've got to rise together. I'm not, I'm not doing this without you boys. Okay, we're, going, we're doing this together. So that's just something small and practical to say that, that I, I really think if we want to see village life flourish again, we need to believe in our men and encourage them and honour them and not criticise them, not belittle them, not dishonour them, but actually lift them. Are you with me? Yeah? Good. Okay, it's gotten a bit quiet. Get serious, you know. We've got to honour him. Okay. And so God actually deals with Barak. It's like, God's like, okay, Barak, you're going to have to learn a few lessons here, mate. And because you've got to deal with this insecurity because I'm not going to have a um, counselling session with you over this. I'm going to call you to toughen up. So guess what, Barak? And so this is what comes through Deborah. I will surely go with you, Deborah says. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And that's exactly what happens. And not Deborah. It wasn't Deborah that was taking the credit for this. God saw to it that another woman would take the credit for the battle. So Barak goes to war and they, they are having a stunning victory. But the leader, the commander, Sisera, he finds himself in the tent of a young woman called Jael. And he, he says to her, you know, can you, can you hide me? Stand at the door of the tent, hide me and, uh, and don't tell anyone that I'm here. And so she's got him hidden under a blanket and, and uh, she serves him up some milk and he falls asleep. And it says this, and then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary, and so he died. Don't you love good bedtime stories? Man, this girl must have been built. <laughs> she, she had some power in those, you know. She, probably a lot of experience, you know. She had, a, had training. Do you know what I love about this? There was something about the spirit of Deborah that released the next generation of women. I don't know what it was, but there was something so liberating about it. There's something so powerful about it because Deborah had courage. She had the courage to rule. She had the courage to judge. She had the courage to be the voice to the people in, in this time. She had the courage to stand up. What role models did she ever have of that? She was the first woman. But she had the courage to say, if God is asking me to do something, I'm going to do it. And so here's Jael who goes, you know, Deborah's pretty cool. And if she can do it, so can I. God, you've delivered the enemy into my hand. What have I got to use? I'll just look around the tent. Um, spatula, yeah, can't do too much damage with that. Egg flip, no. Um, blender, yeah, definitely. Well, that'd be messy. Um, what will I use? Ta hammer and tent peg, perfect. I know how to deal with one of those. <laughs> and so she deals with Sisera and of course, the ultimate glory went to JL. So I just want to leave you with some three quick thoughts from this. And the first thing is, I really believe we need to be aware of our village. 
Deborah said village life ceased. She noticed. You know, the, the, the first step to taking responsibility is taking notice. We've got to take notice of what village life is ceasing in our schools. That's a big one right now. In our neighbourhoods, in our communities, in our council regions. You know, we, we've got to pay attention to village life. Sometimes village life is just very intimate. It's about our marriage. How's that looking? How's, how's my home? Is, is, is my home just bereft of peace because the kids won't stop fighting? Am I going to take notice? Because when I take notice, I might just take responsibility and do something about it. The, the second thing is this. We've got to be ready to rise. Got to be ready to rise. It wasn't just enough to notice. Awareness is great, but if it doesn't actually lead to some sort of action, it's just, it's just empty. We've got to be ready to rise. Deborah was ready to rise. Jael was ready to rise. Barak rose. He wasn't ready, but he rose. And I believe that we're going to see many of our young men rise and do phenomenal, phenomenal things. I think sometimes, uh, you know, when things are bad, uh, I've had um, a tendency to just want to have a little pity party. I know I'm the only one in the room who would do that. I know you guys aren't like that at all. But I just want to feel sorry for myself. You know, I just wish something was different. You know, the kids are ganging up on me. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> they won't do what I, what, what I tell them to do. I used to say that to Rick when he'd come home. He's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Oh, okay, it's apparently up to me. Well, oh, I better do something about it. In fact, there used to be a cartoon in, uh, on when I was a kid. And uh, the, th- the opening song, and see if you recognise it, was Wait till your father gets, wait till your father gets, wait till your father gets home. Anyone else see that cartoon? Yeah, right. My mother would hear that tune come on from the other end of the house and she would go, Turn that rubbish off! <laughs> because she was not a woman who waited till Dad got home. In fact, really, we'd prefer dad smacks to mums. They were, you know, infinitely tender compared to hers. <laughs> but it's time to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and actually rise because there's an opportunity for us to make a difference. You know, I think, uh, I, I think just like those women that we saw in, the, in that video clip, we often just don't believe that what we're doing is enough, making a difference. And we actually have to believe in ourselves and maybe we've got to change something. Sometimes, you know, I really had to change my parenting because I realised it was failing me. Sometimes there are some things that we have to address and we have to learn and we need some guidance and we need, we need to not be pr- so proud that we don't get some, you know, counsel and help on the way we're raising our kids. But we need to believe that we can make a difference. We need to have some authority. We wouldn't. Sometimes, honestly, I see the way some parents let their children treat them, and it's like you would not let any other human being treat you like that. Why are you letting your children treat you like that? We have got to take control over what's happening in our homes. We can, mums. We can. We've got to be strong and consistent and faithful, and speak life over our children and prophesy over them the way Deborah, as a prophetess, prophesied. But we've got to do the practical things that help our children honour us, honour their fathers, honour those in authority, honour the Lord, honour one another. We've got to, we, there's, some, there's, there's a war sometimes that we have to undertake in our homes to bring things back to normal and, uh, and something to, 
to life, you know, that village life flourishing and thriving. And sometimes there's a little war we've got to have, but it's worth it. And, and the last thing I want to say is be prepared to take the next generation with you, to encourage them, to believe in our sons, our daughters, to prophesy over them, speak life. Just, you know, give wisdom. Don't speak doom and gloom over, over them, negativity. Come on, let's, let's raise the next generation. Let's make sure. I, I love that, that one boy that said, oh, I, I serve. I serve at church with my mum. I love that. She, that was a mum that was taking, taking her son, taking the next generation on the journey with her. Love that. And I also want to say that the next generation have something we don't have. Every generation is different. They've got something unique to bring to the table and we've got to give them space for that too. They're going to do it different to us and that's okay. Now, I just want to leave you with a final story. I'm going to finish up. And uh, it's a story I read. I actually shared it. So some of you actually read it on, on Facebook, but I know many of you are not on Facebook. So I thought I would, um, I thought I would share the story, but... Uh, just just to show you the impact that our lives can have and encourage us because sometimes we just don't feel like kind of the footprint of our influence is that big, you know, is what we're doing really worth worthwhile? And so I want to encourage you with this story. David and Sevilla Flood were a young married couple with a two-year-old son that came from Sweden. It was 1921. They felt called to Africa. And they arrive at the big mission station. And they uh, really felt to go to this particular remote village and, uh, and share the gospel there. And when they got there, the chief wouldn't even let them in the village because he didn't want to offend the other gods. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Didn't want to offend the other gods that they were worshipping by allowing these missionaries to come in and tell them about, about Jesus. And, and so they rejected them and they, and they, they felt quite dejected, uh, this young missionary couple and another missionary couple, the Ericsons, had come to join them. And so they decided to build a hut further down the mountain, uh, not, not too far away, uh, and just prayed that there'd be some kind of breakthrough and they'd get an opportunity to share the gospel with this village. Well, one young boy was given permission by the chief to go and sell chicken and eggs to the missionaries. And so once a week he would go down and he would sell them the chicken and the eggs. And, uh, and eventually, Severe Flood, this, this young mother, she actually led this young boy to Jesus, their only convert, their one and only convert. And so a, a particularly bad bout of malaria had come through and they'd all been quite badly affected. And Severe was pregnant. She gave birth to a daughter, Aina. And uh, Aina uh, was, was born, unfortunately, severe because of how weak she was from the malaria and the birth. She died some short, a short time later. And her husband was so grieving. He was so caught in his loss, his frustration, that nothing that they were doing seemed to be succeeding. And he, he went to the Ericsons. He said, take my daughter. I can't raise her. And he took his son and he went back to Sweden. He was just so disillusioned, so angry with God. And shortly after that, the Ericsons were struck down by a mysterious illness and they died. And so Aina was left to an American couple who took her back to America and raised her as Aggie. They raised her in the church. They raised her to love God. They raised her knowing about her parentage, so she knew her history. Uh, and some years later, she, she um, met a 
beautiful young man, Dewey Hurst his name was, and she became Mrs. Aggie Hurst. And, uh, and they just continued to serve the Lord together. And he, he uh, was a principal of a, a Bible school, I understand. And, uh, and one day she found in her letterbox a Swedish magazine. She had no idea who put it there. She opens the magazine and she leafs through. She can't read any of the writing. She leafs through and she sees a photograph of a grave uh, site with a cross with the name Severe Flood on it. And she knew that that was her mother's. And so she's fascinated. She, so she, she found somebody who could actually read um, the, the, the Swedish language and, and she had them interpret the whole thing. And it told the story of how severe flood led this young boy to the Lord, died shortly after. But this boy went on to lead 600 of his village to Jesus. 600 of his village. She couldn't believe it. And she felt compelled to go and find her father. So she found him. And at this stage, he was a 73-year-old man. He'd, he'd actually returned to Sweden. He'd remarried. He'd had more children. But he was so broken, so grieving, so angry with God, you could not mention God's name. He would fly into a rage. He was just so bitter. And so he, he actually became a drunk. And here he was, 73, broken, not in good health at all. And she comes to meet him. Papa, she says, and he can't believe it. He's like, I'm so sorry. Anna, we never meant to give you away. I never meant to give you away. The great regret of my life. And they had a time together and she, and she just said to him, it's okay, Papa. God had me. God looked after me. It was all good. And he stiffened at the mention of the name of God. He's like, oh, don't, don't talk about God to me. Like he was so hard. And she just stroked his face and said, you don't know. Papa, you don't know what happened. And she began to tell him what she had read in the magazine, that now 600 of the villagers believed in God, including the chief himself. This boy had led the chief to the Lord. <laughs> Incredible. And he begins to weep. Tears begin to roll down his face. He begins to weep. Incredible story. And she leads him to a reconciliation with the, with the Lord. You know, she returned to America and just a few weeks later, he, he passed away. But he passed away reconciled with the, with the father. And, uh, and so, you know, it was some time later that she, uh, she and her husband saw that there was a, a conference happening and, uh, in, in Afri Africa. It was, it was the Belgian Congo. I'm, I'm not sure what they call that now, Zaire or something. I, I, I'm not very good at my African nations. Um, <laughs> but uh, they, they saw this conference and they, they uh, decided that they would attend it. They wanted to see what had, what had happened. And, so, and, and she thought she'd really like to go and visit her mother's, uh, you know, grave. And, and so the, off they went to this conference and um, uh, after the, one of the sessions she met the superintendent of, of this movement. It represented 110,000 believers and she started to talk to him and told him who she was and that she was hoping to go and see her mother's grave and he said, he said to her, Aggie, it was your mum that led me to the Lord. I was that boy. I was that boy. And now he was the superintendent of this movement of tens of thousands of believers and I just think of how powerful it can be that we often don't realize the impact of our life the decisions that we make how the generations are watching us how they are 
they're really rooting for us to make the right decision. They're cheering us on because they want to see how we do it. <laughs> they want to see how we get across the finish line. I'm not worried about the middle of the story. I'm worried about getting across the finish line, you know. And I just think there's something more profound about your footprint than you realise. Elijah, why don't you jump on the keys and the keys, as in the strings, you know, those ones. Jump on the guitar. Because <laughs> um, I just believe that God wants to minister to us today. Mums, especially, dads, men, women, boys, girls, your life has significance. Your life has more meaning than you know. Village life has ceased. Will we rise in this hour? Will we be found faithful? What will our story tell of us? How will we champion the generations that go behind? How will we show them the way? They don't need perfect. In fact, you know, all the, all the research done on, on the younger generation shows that they actually don't trust perfect actually looking for genuine authentic we're allowed to have a bad day it's it's something longer term they're looking for that should encourage us all okay to be authentic we just got to keep hungry after God he's the only one that's perfect we just got to keep chasing him and pursuing him just be faithful in turning to him in your hour of need why don't we all just stand to our feet and we're going to finish up just allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to us today because there's a, a refreshing spirit here and I believe there's also a call to rise, a Deborah call to rise. So let's just look to the Lord and allow Him to minister to our hearts. Holy Spirit, we thank You that You're so here amongst us. We thank you that you are the comforter, the great comforter, the great counsellor. And I pray for every weary mother here today, in whatever season is represented, God, that you would minister deep to her soul, deep to her soul. And Lord God, if there are areas we need to rise in and we need to fight for right now, I pray that you would give us a new, a renewed sense of vision and zeal, that we fight the right things. Lord God, that we fight for an eternal goal. We fight for the eternity of our children and our children's children. Lord God, I pray for our men, Lord, that they would know who they are, that you would minister to them too, that they are worthy and that they have what it takes, and that you know that they can do this. I thank you for them. I pray that we rise together. And Lord God, that you above all would be honoured and glorified. Minister to every home, minister to every marriage, Lord God. Minister to every child today, I pray. Minister to those who are watching on, online today. Lord God, and I just pray your spirit would bring things to life and cause us to rise. Lord, what we notice, help us take responsibility for. Help us to rise and make a difference in this hour, in this nation, I pray, in this time, 
in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, Amen. Amen. Well, we love you tremendously. Please enjoy your Mother's Day. Please honour your mums. Go and phone them up. Go visit them. Do whatever you need to do. And have a wonderful day. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.